Chapter 25 Rachel! Prince Jake said tersely. Hit it again! Wham! Rachel hit the door again. No effect. Slash! A hork fissure blade cut open right across my chest. Not deep. Not painful. But frightening. Cassie was covered with matted blood. Marco was using only one arm. The other hung limp. Prince Jake was attacking, attacking, attacking with all the violent ferocity of his tiger morph. But he was tiring. Tobias was having difficulty maneuvering in the sky filled with floating cow carcasses. Hey, there's a keypad! Rachel yelled. I turned one stock eye. There was a keypad. Not a York design, certainly. Too primitive. But then, many of the people working at the facility were not Yurks. Ox! Jake yelled. I will try, I said. I backed away from the battle, yielding my place to Rachel. I snapped my tail. My blade shattered the cover of the keypad. I reached in and twisted two wires together. The door opened. We plowed through the door. Bloody, exhausted, scared, injured. Rachel closed the door behind us. I leapt across to the keypad on this side of the door. I ripped out every wire I could reach. Not an elegant solution, but effective. Jeez, I could have done that, Marco muttered. A sudden silence descended. Through the door came only muffled sounds of hammering. They'll get through before long, Tobias said. Visitor 3 will pour every controller he has into this place, Morco said. He'll bring them down from orbit. He'll have thousands of them here. Only then did we look at the room we had entered. It was, in most respects, identical to the room at the animal testing laboratory, where the chimpanzees had been caged. Rows of cages, left and right, a concrete floor and white tile walls, bright lights. But there was one very significant difference. Where there had been chimpanzees, there were now humans. Two dozen humans occupied the cages. They did not move. They did not turn to look at us. Are they dead? Rachel asked. I said, no, biostasis, I believe. They can be released from biostasis and function normally. What the? Cassie said. Then she reared up on her hind legs and placed her paws against the bars so she could look at the chart on the outside of the nearest cage. Project Obedience, she read. Medication effective. She moved to the next cage. Project Obedience. Medication effective. What medication? Tobias asked. Doesn't say. Just mentions Formula 71. I spotted a computer console. Definitely Yurkish in design. Quite modern. By Yurk standards. It was powered up. Open. Not protected. Someone had been using it 
quite recently. Project Obedience, I said to the computer. Define. It replied in a simulated human voice. Project Obedience is the brilliant insight of our great and glorious leader, Visser III, hero of the Taxon Rebellion, scourge of the Andalite fleet, conqueror of Earth. Good grief. Rachel glanced at the motionless humans in the cages. Project Obedience is designed to use genetically engineered biological components to erase those portions of the human brain responsible for free will. Say what? Marco said. Project Obedience has successfully tested Formula 71 on chimpanzees and Earth species related to humans. 100% success has been achieved thanks to the genius of Visser 3. How exactly do you program a computer to kiss butt like that? Tobias wondered. He was resting wearily atop one of the cages. And human testing has now shown Formula 71 to be 100% effective on humans as well. Phase 3 is now ready. The widespread dissemination of Formula 71 through the human food supply, followed by the rapid conquest of planet Earth. Chapter 26 For a moment, no one spoke. Then, Marco said, They're gonna put some magic formula in the meat, and it's supposed to take away free will? I believe it is designed to suppress those portions of the human brain responsible for free will, I said. That's insane! If it worked, it would allow the Yurks to take over the entire human race without a fight, Rachel said. Reduce the people to mindless automatons, Prince Jake agreed. This is why we're getting killed? Over this? Cassie demanded. What, this isn't serious enough for you? Marco demanded angrily. I mean, this could enslave the entire human race within weeks. Cassie laughed, almost pityingly. Oh, please. No way this works. 100% effective, Prince Jake countered. It's a lie. Cassie said simply. You just don't want to face reality, Rachel said harshly. I mean, come on. The Yorks are far more advanced than we are scientifically. They can do this. No, Cassie said firmly. They can't. Come on, we should unfreeze, or whatever, these people. We have to free them. You can't free them, Marco said. Don't you get it? They've already lost their free will. We unfreeze them. They'll do whatever the Yurks order them to do. Turn on us. Attack us. We are not leaving humans in cages, Cassie said angrily. They're not human anymore, Marco raged. They might as well be controllers. No free will. Slaves. Now you listen to me, Cassie said. No one. Nothing can eliminate free will. Don't be ridiculous. Even with a yerk in your head, you have free will. Not the will to do, but the will to think, to believe, to hope, or love, or whatever. This is worse than yerks, Cassie, Prince Jake argued. This goes deeper, 100% effective. I do not wish to interrupt. This is a very interesting discussion, I said. However, 
one question does occur to me. What? Rachel sighed. If these humans have no free will, why are they in cages? And indeed, why are they being held in biostasis? A sudden movement. At the far end of the room, a small, older human male, wearing spotless white, and holding a dracon beam. D don't move! I'll sh 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 shoot! Rachel supplied. Don't move, or you'll shoot. The human nodded. G get out of here! Go back out there! You're not allowed in here! I don't think we can do that, Prince Jake said calmly. Then, with a movement so swift and fluid that the human did not have time to blink, Prince Jake lunged and knocked the dracon beam from the man's hand. The weapon skidded away beneath a cage. The human reacted strangely. He began to cry. He collapsed into the chair before the computer console, placed his face in the palms of his hands, and made sounds of crying. He'll kill me! Of course, he was going to kill me anyway. It was only a matter of time. He being Visser 3, I assume, I said. Of course, Visser 3, the man said bitterly. Who else? This whole project is his idea. But it worked, so why would he kill you? Rachel asked. The man raised his head and rolled his eyes. It didn't work. I faked the results. We all did. We had no choice. Fizzer 3 kept demanding results, results, results. So we gave him results. Lies. Just a bunch of lies. Ouch, Marco said. Swish, three-pointer for Cassie. I so totally should have bet you guys some money, Cassie said smugly. I wanted to tell him. I wanted to say, look, it can't be done. You don't understand. There is no such thing as a human being without a free will. It's... it's... idiotic. But he's no scientist, much less a philosopher. You can't separate a sentient creature from free will. They are free will. Yurk, hork human, it doesn't matter. A sentient species has free will, like an object has mass. You can't separate them. But Visser 3 doesn't listen. Yes, we've noticed that, Marco said dryly. He's really not a very nice person. Is there another way out of here? Prince Jake asked. I can't help you. He'll kill me, the man pleaded. You know, I'd probably feel sorry for you, except that, guess what? You're scum! You locked these people up! These humans, Cassie added. We Andalites don't approve of that kind of behavior. They have families who must be tearing their... No, no families that we know of. These are all street people. I'm not a fool. I knew we'd have to dispose of them in the end. Cassie was at his throat before the human could draw his next breath. She knocked him down on his back, pressed her two front paws down on his shoulders, and bared her teeth, inches from his face. We do not dispose of humans, 
Gussie said. We need a way out of here, right now, or we won't leave you to Visser 3. We'll unfreeze these humans and leave you to them. Just let me escape with you, the man pleaded. I'd rather die of Condrona starvation than face Visser 3. Wham! Someone was ramming a very large, very heavy object against the door. They'll bring up some drink on me soon, Marco warned. No time! We are not leaving these people behind, Cassie said. No, we're not, Prince Jake agreed. Axe, Rachel, and me at the door. Everyone else, bust these people loose. Wham, wham, wham. The door rattled, bent inward. Looking back with my stock eyes, I saw the caged humans begin to stir. Cassie turned off the biostasis. The humans moved around in their cages. Animals! That's a bear! One man cried. Yeah, well, what's that? A woman said, pointing at me. Wham, wham, wham! Everyone climb out of the cages. We're getting out of here. Prince Jake ordered. Says who? A gnarled old man demanded. Says no one, Cassie said gently. Your choice. Stay or go? Yeah, well, this shelter's terrible. I'm going back to the Salvation Army, the man said. Hmm, Cassie said. I believe that was a human being exercising free will. You are going to gloat about this forever, aren't you? Mirko asked her. Yes, I am. Okay, how do we get out of here? Prince Jake asked the controller scientist. Follow me. We formed a bizarre parade. Cassie and me with the scientist up front. A dozen shabby, confused, but free humans. And bringing up the rear, tensed and ready for the yurks to pour into the room. The rest of my friends. I have a question, I told the scientist. A scientific inquiry. Andalites, he said without any particular anger. At least your people genuinely appreciate science. The chimpanzees, you said your formula was ineffective because sentience cannot be separated from free will. So I must ask, did the formula work on the chimpanzees? Are they, in fact, sentient? The chimpanzees? The formula had no effect. But was it because their will remained unaffected, or merely because there was no free will to affect? We do not know. I know, Cassie said. Chapter 27 In the annals of stupid, screwed-up, pointless missions, this was the stupidest, most pointless of them all, Marco said. It was the next day. We were at the mall. In the food court. A food court is a sort of temple of exquisite foods. I was there in human morph, naturally, meaning that I had a mouth. Tobias was also human. And soon, very soon, as soon as Rachel came back from standing in the lines, I would have a delicious cinnamon bun. 
I mean, all this trouble, for what? For a yurt plot that was already a total failure. We could have stayed home. We set some chimpanzees free, Gussie said. And some humans, too. Which, Marco, is even better. Marco left. Oh, come on. You know you're a hopeless tree-hugging animal, nut. Come on. You're wearing Birkenstock right now, aren't you? Confess. Rachel came back carrying a tray of foods, including my delicious, incredible cinnamon bun. She handed various items to my friends. Then, at last, the bun. I began to eat it, taking care not to eat the paper plate as well, since I have learned that is considered improper. Here's your burger, Marco, Rachel said. Oh, I can't believe this. A burger? Gussie said. After Axe was nearly carved up? After being in that slaughterhouse? Marco opened his mouth wide and took a very large bite. He chewed as we all watched. The burger appeared to be juicy, with a great amount of tasty grease. Rachel tapped her fingers on the table and stared at Marco with an indecipherable expression. Prince Jake also stared. Be right back, Rachel said and stood up. Get me one too, Prince Jake said. Extra pickles. I said, unable to make proper mouth sounds because of the large wad of unchewed cinnamon bun. I think that makes three, Prince Jake said. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, endings, endings took up on me. I, I wasn't paying attention to the, um, how many chapters we were at, and usually I catch that and, and let you guys know it's coming, but this time, it's caught by surprise. I thought there was going to be a few more chapters. I think this also happened with, uh, the last book, too. Uh, I thought we'd spend a lot more time in the in the Pemalite ship last time, and I thought we'd spend a lot more time in the slaughterhouse this time. Uh, instead, it's just a quick battle, and then uh, they go home. So, here we are, on the end of another book, turns out. Um, so, as always, I'm going to try to get that supercut uploaded this week, um, as well as a new episode. We'll see how that goes. As always, if any of that changes, be sure to check at Audiomorphs on Twitter. Uh, that's where I'll be giving any updates if any are needed. Um, but in the meantime, we got some uh, asks coming in through Tumblr. That's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. The first one is from our friend Willis the Arts, who writes in saying, I read something interesting about Yurks today on Tumblr. Not sure if it's come up before. But we all know what Yurks do to the controllers is bad and harmful. But it's also harmful to the Yurks themselves. Yurks don't have to infect people, but they have to exist, sorry, they have to exit their hosts every three days, or they'll die. Infecting another creature is com- 
uh, is a completely optional task they have to do. To do anything needed for survival, they actually have to exit the hosts. So this whole controller system isn't just bad for one party, it's bad for everyone involved. Just thought this was interesting, not sure if it ever comes up in the books. Signed Willis. Um, I don't know that it comes up with the, in the books. That's a, kind of an interesting perspective on the whole thing. Um, I saw an explanation in, in a Facebook group that I really liked for... Because someone asked, yeah, like, uh, what's the deal with Yerks being able to invest uh, other creatures when, you know, they have to live in Yerk pools in order to not die? That seems very contradictory. And someone provided the idea that... Um, they evolve the ability to infest creatures uh, in order to move to new pools in order to keep um, the gene pool variety um, diverse, right? So the idea is, you know, they live in this pool, a creature comes down to drink or whatever, uh, a ged, you know, a ged comes down to drink, they slip into his head, uh, run him over, find a new pool uh, in three days, and then exit his head, and that's supposed to be the, like, cycle. Then, of course... Yorks develop sentience and say, hang on, why do we have to give these guys back? We can just hold on to them. Uh, which also kind of brings me back to uh, this theory you've presented me. I don't know that, uh, as presented, it is harmful to the Yorks. Uh, it, you're right that in, in the sense that in order to um, consume nutrients and to reproduce, uh, they need to be outside of a host body. They need to be back in a yurt pool. But that doesn't mean being inside the host body harms them. Um, as we've seen from uh, passages in the Hork-Bajir Chronicles when we saw, uh, you know, Esplin take a host for the first time, it's actually pretty incredible um, to get all these new senses they've never experienced before. It's like if we got to be able to see shrimp colors, I'd love that. Um, so th there's definitely some boons to it. I don't know that it's harmful just because they need to exit a host eventually. Um, but it is that is an interesting to think, thing to think think about. Uh, ooh, I'm just tripping over all my words today, huh? It's an interesting thing to think about. Um, the way that, yeah, it's not typically like how parasites work, right? Parasites usually embed in a host and then they're just there until the host dies. Um, you know, I'm thinking about like tapeworms, um, you know, those like wasps that lay their their larvae inside uh, caterpillars, you know, it's uh, or the parasite that like makes the bug climb to a high place so a bird will eat them. Like every in every instance, like being within the host is like the goal in which then you know everything they ride the host till it dies. Having to actually exit every three days is like kind of weird when you think about it. Uh, so thank you for writing that in, Willis. I hope we all thought about that. Um. I also got an anonymous message over on Tumblr that says, uh, Just wanted to thank you. I just discovered your podcast, thanks to a Facebook page, shout out whichever Facebook page did that, and have been listening to the books during work. I haven't had the time slash energy to read, really, so having these accessible has been amazing. Thank you. Uh, you're so welcome. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Uh, I, I feel the need to due diligence point out that uh, you can also get the official audiobooks through your local library. Big supporter of local libraries. Gotten me through most of my youth. Uh, so that's another option. But if you want to stick with me, more power to you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, those are the only two I've got. But of course, if you want to write in, you can also do that through uh, the email. That's audiomorphscast at gmail.com and on my website. The Apocalypse, that's the, uh, that's like 
That's apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. Apocalypse. Woo, I'm all over the place. I'm, I can literally feel my room heating up as I'm talking, and it's stressing me out. I want to turn my fan back on. So thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be starting a new book next week, and uh, I will see you then. Thanks for listening. Supercut coming out sometime this week. Keep an eye out. Uh, peace. My name is Daniel. I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>